0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, January the 28th, 2022. It is currently 3.19 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas, Texas, And as I'm sitting here in this empty sanctuary, I wanted to turn on the microphone and go live to do another episode and our Bible study exercise this week on Genesis 39 and the subject of temptation. That is what we've been studying all week. There's been some interesting discussions this week, and I think a lot of people have expressed almost a frustration with the topic, and that is great, that is, I know what you're thinking, wait a minute, you've done a Bible study exercise, you've been studying Genesis 39 and the subject of temptation all week, people have basically expressed a frustration, and you're cheering that, yes, because I think if you're expressing your frustration, that means you finally get it, if you're expressing your frustration, you're like, I don't get this, it doesn't make any sense, what? What? Not, not that Genesis 39 doesn't make any sense, but when, when you start thinking about temptation, you start realizing some things don't, don't make sense. When you realize it doesn't make sense, then you realize, I think, that you've been uh, misled. You've been lied to. Now, I, I know I'm going to make a lot of Christians upset, but I think the way churches teach on the subject of temptation and on the subject of sin is downright criminal, it, if, if if it was medicine, they would be sued for malpractice because it's just absolutely, it, it's it's devastating what it does to people. And, and, and I say that as I look over here, again, I'm looking at a book by Charles Stanley called Temptation that I purchased at the Bible bookstore, in Abilene, Texas, when I was a teenager. I'll never forget how like, okay, this book is going to fix it, right? This is it. This book is going to show me how I can overcome temptation. And I kept hearing it over and over. Christian radio, sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. Now that you are a Christian, you have the power of God in you. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. You're more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. You can live victorious. You can live over sin. You can choose not to sin. You can stop sinning. You can be godly. And then after they say all of those things... Now the fine print, however, you can't be perfect. Wait, 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 wait! time out, time out, time out, time out. You just said all of those things and you said, however, you can't be perfect. So that means I'm never going to be sinless, but I can be victorious. I never can be sinless, but I can, I can, I'm a new creature and old things are passed away. And all things are new, but I'm still going to (laughs) sin. Like, can you... Do you hear yourselves? Like I, sometimes you just want to go Like, Do you Christians really hear yourselves? Because you sound like you're insane. Like you're saying one thing. And then you're saying the complete opposite of what you just sold to me. And then you don't tell me how I'm supposed to figure this out or navigate this life. And when you're a Christian teenager and you're brand, you weren't really raised in the church. And you're trying to figure all of this out. You're like, okay, okay, stop sinning, stop sinning, stop sinning. And like, you can do it. But you can't really do it. You have the power, but not to be perfect. You have you're more than a conqueror, but not over sin completely. You're a new creature in Christ, and old things are passed away, but your sinful nature still exists. <laughs> and you kind of like you start looking at them like, you're you're insane. You're absolutely insane. And I know to say that people are gonna go, oh, How dare you say that? Well, why wouldn't I say that? Don't you hear how utterly insane all of that sounds? So I'm glad some people, here's what I think happens. New Christian, you just, you listen to all of the promises. More than a conqueror, boom, new creature. And you just, you start putting all of these things out there and you're like, it is so true, right? And then you live it. But then the longer you've been a Christian, if there's any honesty at all inside of you, if there's any openness and any honesty, you start realizing, man, man, I I sin in thought, I sin in word, I sin in deed, I sin in what I do, I sin in what I don't do, I've got a problem. And once you start acknowledging that reality, the reality that you experience, the reality that you know, you'll start questioning either the truthfulness of Christianity, You'll start questioning maybe the teaching that you've been told, or you may just find yourself totally in a pit of despair, feeling like I give up. And I'm trying to fix that because I think we've been lied to over and over and over and over again by many well-meaning Christians, but they've just not thought this through in any meaningful way. So here's what we're going to do. I don't have a lot of time Uh, Because my wife needs uh, the car and I'm here in the middle of nowhere, Texas, meaning I have to drive back to somewhere, Texas, which is really still middle of nowhere, Texas. But that's a whole different story. I got to drive back to where my house is uh, so my wife can have a car and I've got to leave here in about 35 minutes. So I have a limited amount of time today, but I did not want you to go. I know what you're thinking. You spent over an hour and 30 minutes having to deal with the Enneagram. I know. I know. Look, I I still regret that I ever did the episode on Wednesday about the Enneagram. I still I'm beating myself up over that, okay? Trust me. All the way home, I'm going to I'm going to pull up my phone. I'm going to go back to that episode on the Enneagram that I did today and I'm going to just sit there and go, that was Dumb, that was stupid, 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 stupid. Why did you do that? So I'm going to be kicking myself all day. I know because I, I needed to be doing this. But then, yeah, I, I, I got myself into that mess. I, I'm always doing that. Okay, but I understand. But what I want to do is at least I didn't want you to at least go today without turning any our attention to the Bible study exercise because we all know what's happening. Tomorrow is supposed to be the final day of the Bible study exercise. At best, I can do one more study on it on Sunday. Right And then I, we're introducing the next week of study. We, we, we want to keep so yeah, now we, we may have to do some uh, there's always these additional studies that we can do that we can try to bring into this, but I want us to try to stay on that schedule as much as possible so that we can keep learning and moving forward, and, and it just it just gives us that what that focus that the best we can. But a lot of you brought up a lot of issues, and I, I'm going to do my best to try to go through a lot of things. So Genesis 39 that's the text. So let's just go back to it really quick. Genesis 39. I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time expounding the text. We've, we've spent a lot of time working on it. And, and, and I've already given you lots of assignments. Hopefully you've been working on all of your assignments. Genesis 39. Remember, the Bible study exercise, it's not just about me teaching it. It's about me trying to kind of guide you in a, in a guided Bible study exercise so that you're participating. You're only going to get out of these studies really what you put into these studies. The, the goal here is active participants, not passive listeners, All right, And, and I'm, I'm telling you, if you'll participate, like you, your view of the Bible study exercises may maybe one perspective. If you participate, it'll be amazing. You'll be like, man, I got a lot out of that study this week. Yeah, it's what happens when you participate. It, it's amazing how that works, right? Okay, it, it just, it really is, but it, I'm just telling you. All right, so here we go. Genesis 39, verse one. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him off of of the hands, not off the hands, of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Now, remember, he's been sold into slavery by his by his wonderful brothers. He goes from the favorite son to a a purchased slave. it's, It's pretty sad how the situation changes. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him an overseer over his house, and all that he had... Put, all that he had, he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had and the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And I just wanna make sure I stress to you I think verses one through six clearly indicates there is a temptation here that is unspoken and that temptation has to do with his what his brothers had done to him. Now he's been purchased by another human being and he's a slave and his circumstances. And I And I want you to realize that how he handles that temptation is very critical to how he handles the temptation that gets all of the attention, gets all the focus. Even if you are using the Bible study curriculum this week, you'll see that's what gets the focus. And hopefully you've read the Bible study curriculum for this week. All right, verse seven. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph as she said, lie with me. Casting her eyes upon him. In other words, here's a woman who's filled with lust and she tries to use in a sense her position. And it's almost when she said, lie with me, many translations translate it like, a command, you will lie with me. Like, like, you will do this. But he refused. So he refuses. He said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Once again, that so not only is he tempted, the temptation is continual. It happens over and over and over again. And then it comes to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment and her hand and fled and got him out. All right. There's the temptation, it's a sexual temptation, he is tempted with it over and over and over and over and he flees and he runs from it. Okay. And everybody's like, "Great, be like Joseph." And then everyone writes books saying, "Here's what you got to do and if you follow these principles, you too will never fall into sin and it'll be great." However, you can't be perfect, all right? So, so we've already talked about all of that. Now, there's much here I, I want to get into the text. But I just want to lay down some very general principles in regards to the subject of temptation that I just want everyone to gain this week. And and, and and again, the goal here is not to, I don't want you to go, well, you didn't really expound Genesis 39. We've worked on it all week. There's more there to work on. But again, I'm leaving some of this for you to do. But I at least want you to have some principles down that are going to be somewhat contradictory in your mind and may be troubling to you. But I I I, hope in some ways, I think my prince, the what I'm going to hand down to you right now cannot be more contradictory than what the average church handles hands down to you because the average church tells you that practically you're a new creature. The old is completely gone, but you realize you still have a sinful nature. So clearly the old is not completely gone. And obviously not everything is new in a practical way. So we have to understand that in a different way as well, which we've talked about that many times. But well, let's let's go through this. Are you ready? Here we go. First, we I, I, the definition that I have provided for you in regards to temptation is any. What word did I use? I can't remember exactly the word I used. Any entice enticement. Let's go with that word. Any enticement. Any attempt. To draw you, you can, you, you, can, you can go whichever way you want. I will think enticement, I like that because I think most def, uh, dictionaries use enticement when they speak of temptation. Any enticement, any attempt to move you away and against God's standards, right? So God's standard is his law, his word, right? That's his standard, right? His standard is be ye holy as he is holy, right? God's word, that's the standard. Any enticement, anything to move you away from it and move you against it, to do something against it, it entices you to move away from God's standard in the following ways. In thought, in word, in action, or in desire. If it moves you away from that, you start thinking things that are contrary to God's way, God's standard, if you start speaking things that are opposed to God's standard and God's way, when you start uh, doing that which is opposed to God's w- way, when you start desiring that which is opposed to God's way, then that that's temptation. Temptation is the enticement for you to move away from God's way, God's standard, in thought, in word, in action, and in attitude. That is Temptation. I think that's a fair, accurate definition based off all of the work that we have done. Now, uh, you're supposed to have done some work on the actual Greek and Hebrew words. Um, Hopefully, you've done some work on that. Maybe we'll have to do some more on that. But I, I, I handed that for you to do. But that's the definition I'm coming up with, all right? Now, here we go. Here are some basic principles before I run out of time. Here we go. Number one. We have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature that will never go away until we are glorified. So when the Bible says that anyone who's in Christ is a new creature, old things passed away and behold, all things have become new that can't refer to us practically because we still have a sinful nature unless you unless you teach the eradication of the old nature. And if you teach the eradication of the old nature, then you can teach that Christians not only can be perfect, should be perfect, and clearly 2,000 years of church history, we don't see any Christians that are perfect, and we see sin, 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 as being the constant story of churches, of Christian families, of Christian marriages, of Christian everything. So clearly we still have a sinful nature. So how do we understand that we're a new creature? In my position before God, I am perfectly holy, I am not sinful because in my position, the imputed righteousness and his passive and active obedience has been imputed to my account. So I stand before God as a new creature, perfectly holy. And I see other believers, not in the reality of their practice, but in the reality of their position. And I treat them as a new creature that old things have passed away and all things have become new. And I think that very much carries out the context of that scripture, if you will go study it, which I'm not going to go back through again here because I've studied it so many times and try to explain this to everyone because again practically I can prove to you that you're not a new creature and old things are completely gone and everything is new because your sinful nature is still there. Therefore not all things have become new. <laughs> like just logically it doesn't make any sense. but positionally it's true and how I'm supposed to view you I view you as the re- and and I view you as a Christian not in light of your practice but in the truth of your position right? But we have a sinful nature. Now, when you're studying temptation, you just need to realize you've got a sinful nature. It isn't going away. Number two, no one likes to hear this. We constantly sin and fall short of God's standard. We constantly sin and fall short of God's standard. If you believe that that is not true, I can demonstrate to you in minutes. Love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You tell me you fulfill that on a constant, regular, consistent basis? Give me a break. You fall short of that all the time. Love your neighbor as yourself. You fall short of that all the time. Be ye holy as he is holy. You're telling me you're as holy as God? Not in your practice. In your position you are, because God's holiness has been imputed to your account. And practice you're not. Pure heart. You don't, you'll, you're don't. you never going to have a pure heart because you have sin nature. I can go on and on and on with scriptures that talk about this and talk about that. You're going to fall short. 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 You're going to fall. So you're constantly in a state of sin. Now immediately you're like, well, wait a minute. If I'm constantly in the state of sin and I have a sinful nature... Well, what's the world? How do we understand temptation? Let's go a little further. Number three. We will always struggle with temptation. Because we have a sin nature... And because we constantly sin, we're always going to be struggled with temptation. Temptation is going to be a constant reality in your life because sometimes we just reduce temptation to sexual sin. There are people who never get near sexual sin, but trust me, they sin all the time and make it very clear. And it's just so weird. You commit a sexual sin. It's like, you're done. But people commit 15,000 other sins and it's like, uh, you know, those, those are the venial sins. But- Trust me, you're gonna face temptation constantly. We we've talked about that. Temptation every time you engage other people. When, when how how are you going when they when you engage people who, who treat you in a negative way, are you gonna respond with love, turn the other cheek, forgiveness, no bitterness, no anger, no wrath? No, you, you you're gonna respond in many cases, you're gonna be sarcastic, cutting, you're gonna respond with anger, because well, just gonna show your sinful nature and show you that you're sinning. You're, you're going to sin. Now, here's the thing. Nowhere does the Bible say, well, because you have a sinful nature, because you constantly sin, do you just say, well, let's keep sinning. No, the Bible calls you to struggle and fight against it. And that's, we, we think about it. You're fighting a battle practically that you'll never truly be victorious in. However, positionally, You have complete victory over it. In Christ, you're more than a conqueror because in your position, you you are not touched by that sin. In your practice, though, you are to struggle. Here's the thing. The Christian life is a struggle to try to live out in any way, shape, or form the reality of your position and your practice, but it's never going to be perfect. Your hope is your position. That's what saves you. That's what makes the gospel so sweet. You, you will never understand or taste the sweetness of the gospel until you find yourself constantly choking on the reality of your sinfulness. That's the way it works. Now, here's the thing. We have a sinful nature, we're going to constantly sin, and we're always going to struggle with temptation, always, over and over and over and over and over. So you're fighting a battle that you will never truly win practically, but you've already completely won positionally. The Christian life is trying to live out and practice what is true positionally, but One of the reasons you do this is the more you struggle, the more you realize your sinfulness, you'll understand and taste the sweetness of the gospel. You'll never taste the sweetness of the gospel till you find yourself constantly choking on the reality of your sinfulness. The more you choke on the reality of your sinfulness, the more the, the taste of the gospel will be so sweet and wonderful. I cannot stress that enough. Now, here's something we have to at least account for. Clearly, some victory is possible. Now, listen to what I'm saying. Some victory, not complete victory because you're still going to sin. every Every book on temptation, unless it deny, unless it says the uh, eradication of the old nature, they all acknowledge you can't be perfect. So you cannot look for victory as being perfection. You can't obviously believe. Victory is to never sin because that's not going to happen. So what is victory? You have to see victory in light of each individual temptation. With every temptation, there can be victory. I'm not saying how many. I don't, like, I'm not here to get into that. You just got to look at that temptation and can you be victorious over that one? The reason I say you can clearly be over some is well, Joseph did not sin with that woman. He There may be other sins he committed. Who knows what was going on in his mind? But other than the physical act, he did not sin in the physical act. I don't know what was going on in his mind. I don't know. I can't say. I don't know if he was filled with absolute, complete lust. Well, then you say, well, he already sinned. If, you, if you're if you going to go into temptation thinking about, well, well I've got to have complete, perfect victory. It's never going to be complete and perfect because you may sin in thought. You may sin in... Word, you may sin and an attitude, but you you may be able to avoid an action. There is some level of, of, of victory that can be attained because Joseph did not lay down with that woman. He 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 did not. That that was a victory. I don't know in what other ways he may have sinned. He did. David Lied down with the woman and had a woman, uh, her, 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 the her husband killed. The, throughout the Old Testament, they were practicing polygamy over and over and over and over and over and over. You see sin constantly in the lives of the people in the Bible, but you can see some other situations where he he seemed to be victorious. You look for every temptation is a battle, and you try to you hope and fight for every little victory that you can. But never forgetting that no matter how victorious you are today, there's still probably with sin present today. So your hope cannot be in your victories. Your hope has to be in the gospel. But you strive against sin, one, to glorify God, one, because you want to please God, one, you're motivated by the grace of God, but more importantly is you understand the destructive nature of sin and that staying away from it actually will benefit you just in this life as well. There is some level of victory available, some level. Now, I know people say, well, no, there's got to be complete victory. Well, you, you, look, if you believe that, don't write, don't email me, just live it out and record it and show everyone that you're perfect. Now, typically, when people start emailing me to argue me uh, argue with me on this subject, you'll immediately see their sarcasm, their disrespect. They won't show they will they would not be respectful in any way wait, wait, before they 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 won't listen. They're arrogant, and you're like, well, wait a minute. So you're arguing that you can be sinless, you can be perfect in your spirituality, and you've already demonstrated sin in the way you're arguing with me. I'm like, you're you're not showing any respect to me. You're not showing any, you know, you're, 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 you're acting like a complete jerk, but you're trying to argue that you can be without sin. How about instead of arguing that you can be without sin, just prove it by being without sin. Or I've seen people who want to argue about, like, I'll preach on it. They disagree with me. And then they're off somewhere talking about me, gossip, slandering, showing no respect to me trying to argue with other people. Hey, no, 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 that's wrong. You can be without sin. Well, while you're sinning against your very, your pastor <laughs> trying to prove that I'm wrong about my perspective on this. How about live? How about just stop arguing and be godly? But no, because the sin nature is there. You're going to sin. I know it's, but but your other, your other are, look, here's your position. Either you, you, you have a position like mine, which tries to take it all into consideration or you just live in a land of denial saying, no, nope, now that you're a Christian, you can be without sin. You can be victorious. And so what it typically is, well, no, you can't be perfect, but, and then they try to, try to throw in all of these, like, but you can be this. Okay, well, what what does that mean? Like, and, and remember, we looked at the Westminster and London Baptist Confession of Faith, who bo- who both acknowledge that the sin will always be with us, and that we can fall into grievous sins, even as a believer. Yeah. Now, we are to fight against it, but we can fall into sin. Now, here's what I want to do. I kept waiting. I kept waiting all week for someone who's participating in the Bible study exercise to either email me, or bring it up in the Discord channel, and if you want to be a part of the Theology Central Discord channel, it's a great place to talk about theology and doctrine. Just email me; I'll send you a link. You Just download the Discord app, and it's you—you're you, just right there and can chat with all the other uh, people who participate in the in the studies and listen to the podcast. Um, but no one brought it up, and I'm just absolutely baffled by why no one brought it up. I really—I don't know either. No one thought about it, but everyone should have brought it up. So I'm going to bring it up right now. You ready? I have it marked. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such is common to man but god is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way of us to escape that you may be able to bear it 1 corinthians 10:13 now what does that mean that is your assignment for the end of this week? Now I, I I shouldn't have to tell you what to do, but I would start with looking up those words for temptation. What exactly are they referring to? Okay, so that's first. Oh no, no, actually, here first. What is the what is the chapter talking about? Let's do this first. What is the what is the what is Paul referring to there in 1 Corinthians 10. Well, like, like, what's the chapter about? Make sure you get some kind of understanding of the context. Then, what are the words temptation? What are they referring to? And then what does he mean, provide a way to escape? All right, let me, let me make sure I don't misquote anything here. It's God's word, so you want to be accurate. That uh, That he's going to make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So what's the context? What does temptation mean in 1 Corinthians 10, 13? And what what does it mean that he gives you a way to escape it? Is this saying, this is the question you have to ask. This seems to imply that whenever I'm tempted, I don't have to sin, sin because God gives me a way to escape it. So I, I could be theoretically perfect. I could theoretically be sinless. Is that, what that, is that saying that it would be possible for me to be sinless, sinless, not sinless, sinless, All I have to do is take the way that God provides for me. I'll just give you an example, all right? Here's from that Charles Stanley book that I I told you about. If you're like many people, you may not have taken temptation any more seriously than you have because somewhere along the way, you adopted some erroneous thinking about God's attitude towards temptation. One of the most common common statements people make to excuse failure uh, in the area of temptation is this. I'm just human, and besides, nobody's perfect. Let's take a look at this for just a minute. Now, look, they even acknowledge this. There's some truth to the statement. Only God is perfect. Okay, so even they acknowledge God is the only one perfect, so that means no one's going to be perfect. So immediately they're at least acknowledging that you're never going to be sinless. You may sin less, but you're never going to be sinless. So so they seem to acknowledge it, but but they say, wait a minute, this is a problem. Let's continue to listen. The problem is that this statement confuses present character with potential behavior. What does that mean? This, This confuses present character with potential behavior? This seeming to say that I have the potential to be perfect? Is that what they're saying? Let's see. Let me explain. When people say I am not perfect, they're referring to their personhood or character. They're basically saying, since I am not perfect internally, don't expect perfect behavior externally. But in discussion of temptation, character is not really the issue. The issue is whether or not At a given moment in time, people, in this case, believers, may have the potential to do the right thing. God says they do. So they're saying, okay, you can never be perfect internally, but they seeming to imply that you could be perfect externally in your behavior. That's a crazy claim. And guess what they point to? No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the, with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. We will look at this passage later in more detail, but suffice to say that all believers have the potential to say no to temptation, regardless of whether or not we are perfect. Perfect. Pointing to character as an excuse for giving into temptation holds no weight with God. We are all in the process of developing character, but where we are in that process has no bearing on our potential to overcome temptation. It may affect our desire to overcome temptation, but not our ability. They are claiming you have the ability to overcome temptation. So you don't ever have to give in to temptation. You have the ability to do so. Are you willing to exercise your potential as a believer and say no to temptation? I hope that you started to read this book because you're willing and you want to know how to proceed. So are you willing? Are you willing to to use the power to stop? Now, when I was a teenager, I was like, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, and I realized that I kept falling into sin. And after all of these years, I, I I still haven't figured out how to do this. And I would argue 2,000 years of church history. I mean, you, you're saying that all Christians have the ability to, stop, to, to not give into temptation, to basically stop sinning, maybe not in their character, but in their behavior. Well, then, why is there so much sinful behavior in Christian families, Christian churches, Christian schools, Christian everything? You you read story after story, Christian ministries. There's deception and stealing and backstabbing and gossip. I mean, just anyone who's been involved in Christianity for any length of time. Look at churches, church splits, fighting, arguing. I mean, you had Christians in, in the past killing one another. I mean, you've had crazy stuff happen. I mean... Just pick up your Bible, right? Just start reading from the book of Acts. As soon as you start reading, here's the Holy Spirit has come. We'll call it the formation of the New Testament church. It begins, boom. I mean, this is really early, 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 early on. And you start reading every every book you read in the New Testament. What What are they? Oh, wait, sin in the church, 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 heresy, false teaching, sin, division, church splits, you know, sin after, wait a minute, what? why, why? And then when you read in Timothy about, then the last days describing the church, it's sin, sin in the church. There was sin in the church at the beginning. There's sin in the church in the present and there'll be sin in the church in the future. Well, then if we have the ability to stop sinning in our behavior, then there should be after 2000 years, someone should have been able to figure it out. But no one has. Because I don't believe we possess said ability. Now, if I'm wrong, well, again, all you got to do is just, you just prove it. Stop sinning. And again, you, you can create, I want to make a very clear, you can create a list and say, well, I don't get drunk and I don't go to strip clubs and I don't get abortions. Yeah, you can create a list, but I'm telling you, sin is more than just, it's like, you can't just ignore all the other forms of sin, right? Because there's still, I, I guarantee you, there's still sin showing up in your life, not just internally, but externally. I guarantee you it's there. You know it, I know it. Selfishness, ungodliness, bitterness, gossip, slander, judgmental arrogance. I mean, you can go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. We just reduce, we just reduce the concepts to big sins, so well, I can stop those. And then and then when someone commits the big sin, you're like, oh. <gasps> How dare they? But look at me, I've not committed the big one. I'm good. Which then demonstrates your own self-righteousness, which then is a sin in and of itself. So how do we understand 1 Corinthians? I was going to say 1031, but 1 Corinthians 1013. Make sure I don't misquote that reference. 1013. Yes, 1013. I want you to work on it. And then I want you to look at, so I want you to look at the context, look at the word temptation. See what you, and you can try to su- summarize what you think it can possibly mean and look up at least five commentaries and see what they have to say. Well, you're probably going to get something, well, yeah, God will always provide a way of escape. However, no, no, none of us will take make it. We'll will be able to do it perfectly. It's always going to be like, well, you can, but no one's going to do it perfectly. It's going to be this really weird, you can, but you really can't. You, you can't, but you really can't. You, you really can't. And this struggle is why people turn to things like the Enneagram looking for some kind of solution. It really is. That's why every time someone comes up with a new solution, everybody's like, buy that book, buy that Bible study guide, buy, but we've, we've got to do it because they found the secret to living a spiritual victorious life. It's the purpose driven life that will fix it. It's the prayer of Jabez that will fix it. It's, it's this ever. And, and Christians are going from one thing to another because they're always looking because you're like, well, I've been promised all of this victory, but I keep finding myself sinning. Because well maybe we don't understand it correctly. Have we misunderstood First Corinthians ten thirteen? Read old commentaries. Read new commentaries. Tell me what you find. All right, you can email me newsif at yahoo dot com. Uh, everyone in the Discord channel, start posting. Just start start posting. Now I'm going to be driving back home, so I won't be able to look here in a little bit. But I can't wait to see what you have to say, and. Uh, let me know. All right, I'm going to stop right there. Everyone have a great afternoon and a great evening. Enjoy your weekend. I will be here tomorrow morning. Um, And then Sunday, the goal is, if we don't have any more COVID situations, having Sunday school and Sunday morning in person, and then Sunday afternoon, Sunday night will be hours and hours of live broadcasting that maybe I can catch up and not make any more mistakes like throwing in the Enneagram in the midst of everything else that was going on. But all right, I'll stop there. Now I'm going to get in the car and then live. I'm going, to, I'm going to be tempted to be frustrated, aggravated, irritated, and ticked off because I had to go back to the Enneagram and I did a horrible job with that intro. And I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be discouraged and I'm going to be frustrated. That's the temptation I'm getting ready to battle in the car with myself. And probably I'm going to start thinking ways that I should not think. So there's a good chance I'm going to fail. But even though there's a chance I'm going to fail, I still got to struggle against it. But there's a potential for victory over it, at least to some level. But as soon as I gain victory over that, there's going to be another sin. Okay, well, you get the idea. All right, everyone have a great evening. God bless.